I was thinking about you while I was sitting on the beach looking at the water right about this time. I actually did because, like, like my daughter and my wife blend in perfectly there. But, like, people like me, we don't bug. People like me, we don't, we don't really fit in at the beach. Like, like, we burn. We turn red. We don't turn, like, this nice, this nice tan color. It's very frustrating for some of us. I actually didn't get super burnt, which was nice. Um, but, but, but it's nice to... I, I definitely can say at the beach sometimes, like, like I really don't... I kind of feel a little out of place, you know? Um, and sometimes, like, sometimes you are among other people that you don't feel like you fit in with. And sometimes you kind of, like, like people notice when people don't fit in other places. Um, there was this one time, I already told her what story I was going to tell. There was this one time that Tiff and I had driven down to Tuscaloosa. This was, this was I think, the first UT Bama game that we went to together since we'd been dating. So she hadn't ever been to Tuscaloosa. She hadn't ever experienced what, what real football fandom is like. And so we showed up at my uncle's house. We were going to get a ride over uh, to the game with some people from there. And, you know, so we were standing there and just kind of talking to some of the people who were there. And this guy, one of the, one of the guys, I don't even think I'd ever met him before, walked up to me and said, and who are you? I said, I'm Tanner. I'm, I'm his nephew. He said, okay, okay, that's cool. And who is this? I said, this is, this is Tiffany. She's my girlfriend. And he looked down. She had the big power T on her chest. And he said, you mean ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I don't think he was joking. I really don't think he was joking. He's like, you got to make some life decisions, man. You can't tie yourself to somebody like that. You're going to start, start saying those, those, those horrible words and singing that obnoxious song. A different one. A different one. And so, and, and I remember, like the rest, every other time that, that one or the other of us goes to the Bama UT game, and the other is, of course, dressed in our team's colors, somebody inevitably always says to whoever the visiting person is, you got to change. This isn't going to work out. This is not going to work out. Now, now, I could be preaching a sermon about how, how you know, Jesus takes even the most different people and pulls them together. We're going to kind of get there. But, but, but I think the point that I want to make out it, I want to point out is that when you are different from the people you are around, others are going to notice. And sometimes you might stand out as different and they might be a little bit off-put by your willingness to go hang out with them. Like, for instance, all of the Bama people in my family might have been a little bit concerned that I so permanently tied myself to a UT fan. Maybe not my immediate family, and definitely not my sister, because she could care less. <laughs> but there were certainly people in my family who were like, you're going to go hang out with, with one of them. They're different from us. We're made uncomfortable. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that? Where you are going somewhere, where you are hanging out with some person or some group of people, and the people around you who you would call 
your friends, your family, the people you, the people you would hope that you could trust are concerned that you are going there. And maybe even in their mind, in their kind of, from their perspective, it seems logical that they would say, you should be concerned about going there and, and being with those people, right? You, maybe, maybe there is some reason for you to slow down and think about it in their mind. But what we're going to find out from Jesus today is that that's exactly what He's called us to as the church. He has called us to be the ones to go to the places that the world would say we should not go and befriend the people that the world says we should not befriend and love the people that the world says are unlovable or that it's too dangerous to go and love those people. And from this point on in Jesus' ministry, we've seen Him healing people. We're going to continue to see Him healing people. We've seen Him teach, and people have been amazed by the words that He said. But, but at this point, moving forward, there's going to continue to be in the background the grumblings of the religious elite of that day who are going to start questioning every single thing that Jesus does and questioning the intent behind every decision that Jesus makes. And those grumbles are going to start to get louder and louder and louder until, Jesus, until they are so driven by their anger and their desire to stay firmly rested in their powerful position with their interpretations of the law that they're going to want Jesus completely removed. And all of those things that we just sang about, the man of sorrows who was beaten, who was killed, who was crucified, all of those things are going to come as a result of the fact that, that, that the message that Jesus brings and the actions that Jesus shows continue from this point on to be very countercultural to the religious people that he is around. So if you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to get a couple of examples of that today. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. Um, we're going to read two examples of people questioning Jesus' motives, questioning Jesus' actions when compared to kind of the established understanding of how things ought to be. So Matthew chapter 9 Verse 9 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're going to get a couple of different examples of the way that Jesus is going to hope to instruct his followers, his church, this church that he's building, us, on how our hearts should feel toward people that the world might say we should be apart from. So it says, he goes from there and he saw a guy named Matthew, which is really interesting because the book that we're studying is Matthew. So this, this particular story is going to be really important to the author of the book that we're reading. And he goes up and he says, follow me. 
And he gets up and he follows him. So he goes and and makes a point of saying that he is a tax collector. And I want us to get an idea of of what the perception was of tax collectors at this time. I could make some sort of comparison to the IRS for us here in America, but that doesn't even really do it justice. Because you you don't know somebody who works for the IRS and think they are a traitor to my people. They have stabbed my people in the back. That was the mindset of the Jews toward tax collectors because tax collectors were employees of the Roman government whose sole purpose was to collect enough tax to pay their portion of the tax back to the Roman government. And anything that they, that they collected on top of what the government required of them was their pay, was their take home. And so, and so you had a bunch of dishonest people who would go around collecting more tax than they needed to build up their own riches. Because Rome didn't care how much you collected beyond the amount that they required that you would return to them. So you had a bunch of people who were, who were very self-focused, very self-centered, very wealthy, which was a far cry from the rest of their Jewish brothers and sisters that they saw being separated. And at the same time, Rome would hire Jews for this job specifically because they understood the customs. They understood the lingo. They understood what the mindset was of a Jew who was living in Israel at this time so that they could more effectively collect tax from them. But Rome didn't have the same standards. Rome didn't didn't honor the Sabbath. Rome didn't follow all of the customs of of the Jews at this time so that so that these people who were being paid handsomely by their own greed and their own collecting of taxes from their brothers and sisters, but they also weren't even obeying the law. So they were, they were truly offensive to their Jewish brothers and sisters. Because everything about what they did kind of flew in the face of you know, the, the family tie that they kind of were supposed to have. Like, we're all supposed to be in this together, and you're out taking all of this extra money to build up yourself. You're living in wealth. And you're doing it all for this government that is oppressing us that, that we, don't, we don't like. You've basically turned on us. You've gone completely to the other side. So it wasn't just that they were tax collectors. It wasn't just that they were going around doing a job. It was that they had betrayed their brothers. That was, that was the level of, of, of disdain for tax collectors in the area. So for, for it to point out that Jesus walked up to a tax collector, said, follow me, and it says he got up from his tax booth, right? He, just, he stood up and he left. This is important. This is, this is Jesus calling somebody to a life change. We've seen this before when he called several fishermen. He said, just drop your nets and let's go, right? And they got up and they followed Jesus. The biggest difference between those two calls is a fisherman can go back to being a fisherman. Once you quit your job with the Roman government, it was very unlikely that you could just walk back and say, you know what, I had a change of heart, that was a bad decision, can I come back and be a tax collector again? They would say, no, we're done with you. You abandoned your post, they might even throw you in jail. So to stand up and walk away from this position was a huge moment in Matthew's life. And it came as Jesus called him. Right? It wasn't that he said, you know what, I think I'm going to do something different with my life. It's that Jesus came up to him and he said, you're coming with me. And he got up and he left. 
Matthew immediately had a life change after coming into contact with Jesus. Now, there's another account of this exact same story in Luke that gives us a little bit more detail. But when it says in verse 10, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, this is Matthew's house that we're talking about, right? He calls Matthew. Matthew says, I'm with you. Hey, let's go back to my house and get a bite to eat. And it says, while he was reclining at table, behold, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining at table with Jesus and his disciples. So it's not just that Matthew's life was changed. It's that because Matthew's life was changed, he took all of the influence, all of the relationships that he already had, and he said, you guys got to come meet this guy too. His call didn't just stop at him following Jesus. His call, his call continued beyond that to where he started calling all of his, his friends, his acquaintances, his co-workers, to come and know and, and see who this guy was. Come and spend time with Jesus the way that he was. So when we as the church are called to Christ, when we're brought into this family, it doesn't just stop with us being saved. It continues on way past that, the point where we're saying, you all, we're, we're shouting this out to all the people that we know, the people that we love, maybe even people we don't know yet. And we're saying, you guys got to come see this guy. And I think it's interesting that all of this is happening at a meal. I feel like we come back to this all the time here. Eating is so important, right? Amen. It's so important. It's, it's the reason that we have lunch every Sunday morning after service. It's the reason that we go out to eat every Sunday night after service. It's the reason that anytime we get together, somebody will inevitably bake something. Because, because sharing a meal together is actually like, is a way of really letting your guard down and really getting involved in each other's lives. And Jesus goes and he shares a meal with these guys. And it's worth, and it's worth noting that when it says the Pharisees came up and they saw him reclining at table... Who you shared a meal with in the Pharisees' mind was their way of differentiating the groups. Like this, this was their way of picking teams. They didn't wear jerseys. They ate with the people that they wanted to be around. So the religious elite ate together. The, the Gentiles would eat together. The tax collectors would eat together. You, you, didn't, you didn't intermix these groups. This was the way that the Pharisees made sure that they kind of kept control over who was allowed to hang out with who. This was the way that they were able to establish what level of social status you had in the region by who you ate with. So to see Jesus, this person who had this great following and was doing all of these miraculous things, in, and this is in the mind of the Pharisees, stoop so low as to go eat with these people. Right? And when it says tax collectors and sinners, it's basically trying to say, this, this segment of the population that the Pharisees had, in their mind, roped off and said, those are the people we don't want to be around. Those are wicked people. Those are people who don't, who don't follow our rules. Those are people who don't agree with our interpretation of the law. We don't want to be around those people, so we're going to kind of, kind of, kind of keep them over there in a corner quarantined so that we don't have to interact with them. And here's Jesus saying to a tax collector, let's go have lunch. You know what? Invite a bunch of your friends. Let's hang out. Let's get together. 
So because these people, in the minds of the Pharisees, and, I mean, truthfully so, are sinners, the Pharisees see Jesus' approaching these people and spending time with them, not just as, oh, he's hungry, he's going to go have lunch, but in their mind, he's, he's condoning the sin that they live in. He's saying, I support these people. And so they're offended that he's even giving validity to the lifestyle that they're living. And I don't know if he's giving validity to the lifestyle that they're living, but he's definitely saying, these are people worth my time and attention. But the Pharisees are offended that that somebody would, would go to the people that they have so tried to section off and keep themselves separate from. But the thing, and we've seen this before, right? We saw several weeks ago, we saw a man who had leprosy come to Jesus and, and Jesus, Jesus touched him and healed him, right? And we talked about this idea that, that when Jesus touches someone who is unclean, he himself is not made unclean, but instead the unclean person is made clean. And it's that same idea here that, that when Jesus goes and spends time with the tax collectors and the sinners... It's not that he himself is is becoming one of them, but instead he is changing them to be more like himself. He's showing them the truth of who he is and who they should actually follow and what is actually important. And so so the Pharisees challenge Jesus on this. And he comes back and he's going to do this. He does this all the time. And I love it because I love metaphors. Every single sermon that I preach, I basically try to work in at least a good two or three metaphors. I don't have to this week as Jesus has the metaphors already ready for me. Right? So he comes back with, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He's saying, what, what Jesus is saying to them is, you think you've got it all together. You don't need a Savior, so I'm not here for you. These people know that they're sinners. They know that they are, they are broken. They know that they need some means of salvation. And those are the ones that I'm going to. He's going to these, these humble people who have been kind of cast aside. Despite what the Pharisees think, despite what the Pharisees want to see happen, Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm going after them. They are valuable to me. So Jesus seeks those who realize their need. And if you desire to get by on your own merit, he's going to let you. (laughs) Right? That's what he says. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You think you got it? You think you can survive based on what you've interpreted? Have at it. You don't think you're sick? That's good. I, I, I do love the example of it being a sick person because... It makes sense to think of where the Pharisees' mindset was with relationship to like, oh, he's going and hanging out with sick people, right? right. Don't, 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 don't moms spend like their whole lives trying to keep their kids away from germs, right? Did your mom ever do that? Like, like, like don't, don't touch that. <laughs> Who knows where it's been, Right? I'm not trying to say you should like throw Ellie into like a pool of ick and filth. I'm not 
trying to say that. Still don't lick the rail at Dollywood. But think, think of your doctor when you are not well. I had the flu a couple years ago, right? And, and, you know, you go to the doctor, and they make you wear the mask and all that, and that's great. But, like, I've got the flu. How much is the mask really going to help? But yet, yet there are people who have given their lives to helping people in the state that I was in, where I was not feeling so great. Right? If you've had the flu, you know what that feels like. But like, like to, to say, I know that you have this really contagious illness that I don't want to get, but yet, because I desire that you be made well, I'm going to go and serve you. That's what Jesus is calling his people to be. The kinds of people who don't, who don't run away from, from sin and things that make us nervous, but instead we run into that and say, we have the solution. We're not afraid of the people who are different than we are. Right? Isn't that like a common, like... That is like the common problem that our nation is facing right now. This idea of fear of difference. Some people, I mean, you, okay, we could take this one of two ways. You, you could take it in the election way, where you've got some people who are really trying to present a case that we need to separate ourselves and isolate ourselves, protect ourselves from everything outside. You could, you could look at the racial tension in our country and say, look, it's that these people are afraid of the people who are different from them, and th these people are afraid of the people who are afraid of them because of the difference. But what Jesus is calling us to is to, instead of seeing difference and shying away, instead of seeing sin, instead of seeing something that we think is scary and trying to separate ourselves from it as much, Jesus, Jesus goes right to the people that the rest of society says, you should not be around. What does that look like in the church today? Do we build churches in America that say, we want to welcome everybody, we want to be around any type of person who, wants, who we can go after? Or do we build places that say, if you're kind of like us, you're going to feel comfortable here? I don't like to turn everything into a, hey, yay, CRC. But I really do feel like, like we have had a bunch of people here who have loved the idea of let's make a place where, where there are not boundaries set up just because we have this fancy place or all of these, these big traditions and rules and things. The way, we, the way we do thing is off putting to whoever would come in. I, I love that about the way God has kind of shaped us. And I want us all to see that that is why God put us here. And he's, and he's given us the building that he's given us, and he's given us the, the worship leaders that he's given us, and the preachers that he's given us throughout the time that we've been here. 
And He's really blessed us with an opportunity to be a place where, where we can go anywhere. We can go to anyone and say, you need to know Jesus, now come back here with me. Let me give you a meal. Let me feed you something. Let me spend some time. Let me get to know you. Let me share life with you. Because sometimes in the church we build up all of these traditions. And that's kind of the next thing that Jesus talks about here. We, we, we have these traditions and these ways that we do things that we get, that we get kind of locked in on and they are off-putting. They are, they are limiting to our ability to share the gospel with the people around us. Let's go ahead and move on to verse 14. I'm going to go ahead and read the next three verses. Then the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And again in a metaphor. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and the and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved. So my first point today was that Jesus defies our expectations of like acceptable company. And second, Jesus defies our expectations of acceptable spiritual practice. Because in the church, we can get locked into, well, Jesus said to do this and this and this and this and this. So we do these things. We're guaranteed spiritual growth. We're guaranteed to be closer to Jesus. And that's all there is to it. All I have to do is this. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. You notice how many times I said I in that sentence. How much of that I'm putting on work that I am accomplishing. And so, and so John the Baptist's disciples come up and said, wasn't there this command to fast? Shouldn't we do that? Like, why aren't your guys fasting? And what Jesus does is instead, he, he says, let's step back and look at the original purpose of fasting. Fasting was, was a sign of mourning over one's own sin uh, that was prescribed to, uh, to you on the Day of Atonement. It was a once-a-year thing where, where Jesus said, where Jesus said, you were called to mourn over your own sin. Now, yeah, there are certainly other times where fasting is, is, is welcome, and it's like a time where you're really seeking God to help you understand what His will is. Or if you're going through a particularly horrible time in your country, maybe you fast and pray for the good of your nation. But what Jesus is saying is, is fasting is kind of a, a remembering of the pain that your sin causes God and mourning over what that sin does. And Jesus says, the guys that are around me right now have no reason to mourn because they've got me right now. And he kind of likens it to a wedding. Right? He says, he said, why is anybody sad at a wedding? Weddings are happy. Weddings are party time. Like, let's enjoy this. Let's spend time with family and friends. And right now, I, like the bridegroom, I'm here with them. But there's going to be a time where I'm taken away. And that's when the mourning can happen. That's when they will fast. That's when they'll, they'll beg me to come back. And they'll beg me to fix things. 
And what he's saying is, you have it locked in your mind that there is a certain way and a certain guaranteed spiritual growth that comes with spiritual practices, various spiritual disciplines. I was trying to think of what other sorts of examples we in the church can kind of get bogged down with. And fasting was one of them. Communion, I think, is one. One where it's like, I have to take communion or Jesus isn't going to love me as much this week. Being at church. I put this one in quotes, and I'm going to explain. Okay, so I put in quotes, quiet time, like, like Bible study and prayer time. And I put it in quotes because I wanted to make sure that I don't say, don't read your Bible and pray. That's not what I'm saying. I am not at all saying, don't read your Bible and pray. What I am saying is, don't read your Bible and pray thinking superstitiously that if I accomplish these actions and I read X number of verses every day, God's going to do something better for me. That is not the purpose of Bible study. We, 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 we seek God in prayer. We study the Bible because we love Him and we want to know Him better. And, it, and if it just becomes, you got to be at church. Have you read your Bible five plus times a week on average for the last X number of weeks? If it's, if it's you go to summer camp, I remember they used to do this at summer camp. Uh, they do like the 30-day challenge. Anybody ever take the 30-day challenge? Where it's like, oh, if you do anything for 30 days in a row, it becomes a habit and you'll never stop doing it again. So all you have to do, if you read your Bible for 30 straight days, you'll never not read it ever again. The church gets caught up in its own traditions and its own understanding and its own routine. Like, like we talk about this all the time. Like, with, with communion or with the way we sing or with the way we preach or with the things that we do around the church. Like, like are, are any of the things that we're doing just becoming tradition and becoming less powerful to us because we just do them because that's how we've always done it? Because that's what John's disciples have fallen into. That's what the Pharisees had fallen into. This is how we've always done it. We've decided that that's what's going to make God happiest. So that's why we do it. The church, throughout its history, has gotten distracted by this, right? I'm really not trying to make a big dig on, like, the Catholic Church, because there are Jesus-loving Catholics. But a lot of the system of Catholicism is based around certain actions that you take at certain times. And we do these things because these actions bring us closer to God. And Jesus gives two perfect examples where he says, I didn't just come to kind of do a small course correction on the old system. I'm not just here to kind of, I'm not just here, well, let's look at it. I'm not just here to put a new piece of cloth on a torn garment. I could, we get into the physics, right? Because you're going to wash it and the new piece of fabric is going to shrink and it's going to tear away. Same kind of idea with the wineskin. It's the, it's the, if you put something new into something old, if you just try to fix it, it's just going to make the old thing kind of fall apart. What Jesus is saying is, I didn't just come to kind of put a band-aid on the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to say, I have always been the whole purpose of the law. The whole point has been that the law is going to get you by till I come and I actually upset the whole system. And I say, it's not ever been about the actions you take. It's always been about having a heart that desires to know me. 
So we, the church, can't get caught up so much in our practices and the things that we do thinking that, that the actions that we take are the things that are going to get us by. They're the things that are going to make God the happiest and that's what's ultimately going to save us. Even if letting go of some of our church traditions, just to kind of tie all this back in, even if leaving some of our church traditions might make us seem crazy to the other religious people and church people that are around us. Because we haven't been called to mingle with the people who are perfectly like-minded. And we haven't been called to hold on to old traditions. We haven't been called to stay just like that. We've been called to unashamedly follow Jesus wherever he takes us. In both of these examples, the goal is discipleship. Like, like becoming more like Christ. Not, not looking better to the people around us. Not seeking public approval. So what are we supposed to do as the church? We're supposed to take action where we're, where we're moving towards Jesus in such a way that it stands out. To the saved, to the unsaved. To the religious, to the non-religious. We don't just do the things that we're doing for the sake of doing them. We do them because we want Jesus. We want to be with Him. And when, and when asked about it, our response is because we love Jesus and we want, to, we want to seek Him, we want to serve Him. And this is the example that He gave us. That we go to the places where people might not want to go. We, we, we love the people that the world says we should not risk loving. We don't live in fear of sin and difference. We run to it. Because we've got the solution. Because we know Jesus. Let's pray.